It's Wednesday, April 11th. This is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Helling. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Pro, Jeff Fisher, and from Motley Fool Stock Advisor, Jason Moser and Brian White. Gentlemen, good to see you. Hey there. Uh, we've got a lot going on in the energy industry. Uh, we're going to take a look at how hybrid cars are doing, and we have a fabulous new ad campaign from Unilever. Um, uh, but Jeff Fisher, let's start with uh, Alcoa, because Alcoa officially kicked off earnings season, shares up more than 7% this morning. What What's the good news? Alcoa did. Alcoa is setting the tone for the market today, which is a nicely positive tone after five yep. down days. They really surprised everybody. They were expected to report a loss. They reported a gain. And the CEO said that they are seeing growth in virtually all global and markets, but particularly in aerospace, so airplanes, and automobiles, which is, shouldn't be surprising to us. Car sales are rising pretty much everywhere. So even though aluminum pricing is down quite a bit, nearly double digits year over year, their revenue is held up as their volume goes up. So that's, that's a good sign. Chase? i got to believe that our Diet Coke consumption probably helps us somewhat, Chris, right? <laughs> I would hope so. Like yeah, you think... too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, exactly. We're, yeah, you're welcome, Alcoa. <laughs> um, uh, let's move on to uh, energy. U.S. coal exports reached their highest level in two decades due to strong demand from Asia and Europe. Jason, what? Uh, I'm sorry. I thought I thought coal was dead. What happened? Oh, coal. What happened to the death of coal? Yeah, I mean, coal is what? It's the redheaded stepchild of energy, right? Everybody likes to dog it because it's kind of dirty or something. But I mean, with natural gas prices as low as they've been, uh, you know, it's coal has not made any headlines. But I think when you look at energy on a global basis and you see that while natural gas is, is low here, but there's a rest of the world out there that needs to get their energy from somewhere, uh, emerging economies like India, China, and man, I want to know what in the world's going on in South Korea. Mm-hmm. They, uh, what, imports jumped 81% last year. Maybe they're stockpiling on some diamond production or something. But I mean, you know, geez, there's still a lot of coal out there in a lot of places that need cheap energy, and coal is a source of cheap energy. And so I think that it's, uh, you know, it's something that the it's going to continue, I think, for some time. We're just going to see a lot of coal demand going from places like the United States and even Western Europe, but you're going to see more demand out from the emerging economies like India and China. Jeff, what do you think? Yeah, you know, it's so 2011, the U.S. consumed as much coal as it did in 1996. So it's steadily gone down since 2007, which, to Jason's point, when natural gas peaked, that's when coal consumption peaked. It's gone down steadily now since then. Uh, but Jason's exactly right. It's going to South Korea. It's going to India. A lot more went to Japan last year as they shut down their their nuclear plants. So it's going around the world. And if these companies in the U.S. can export at a profit, then then they'll be okay for a long time to come. Unfortunately, because all these com- all these emerging countries are going to burn coal like there's no tomorrow for as long as we can as long as we can look ahead. Well, and Brian, it's we were talking about before the taping. I mean, this is this trend that we're seeing in the US of of coal consumption either declining or you know, or at a minimum just staying flat. I mean, that's likely to continue, isn't it? Well, yeah, as long as uh, natural gas prices stay so low, historically low, yeah. It's a huge competitor for coal in terms of uh, electricity and utilities uh yeah, the other interesting thing is um, the, the Obama administration just put out some rules that uh, look like they're gonna. It's gonna pre- be pretty restrictive for uh, new coal plants being built here in the states. So that you know that's a factor, you know, in terms of growth for our domestic coal. So, Myers. Jason, just to uh, put the investing cap on this. Um, if this trend continues, we you know we see greater exports going around the world. What's uh, a stock? 
that investors can keep their eyes on. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to figure the coal miners themselves are, are loving this because there's some there's somewhere where their coal can actually go, and as long as demand keeps outpacing supply in places like India and China, then companies like Arc Coal, for example, are going to have a place to sort of send that coal. Uh, but a company that I follow, uh, Joy Global, which is a company that provides the the mining uh, equipment for uh, coal industry, and that's you know they develop about uh, or they they get about two thirds of their revenues from the coal industry and selling the mining equipment. Uh, to these emerging economies like China and India. This is a company that I think will continue to fare well uh, because these emerging economies are going to they're going to need to import as much coal as they can because you know when we look at coal it's not just energy I mean there's thermal and metallurgical coal which it's basically it's supporting the energy and it's also supporting building out that infrastructure like Jeff was talking about there and so with that demand it's going to continue to go on for some time I mean a company like Joy Global is going to be able to supply the equipment for these countries uh, to try to get their own coal so they don't have to import as much and, and that's one I'd be keeping my own Jeff what do you think uh, it can be in coal it can be in other energy sectors, um, is there sort of an, uh, an out-of-favor stock maybe that people can keep their eyes on? Sure. A contrarian thing to keep an eye on is Cameco, ticker is CCJ. It's Canadian company, largest uranium miner in the world. Mm-hmm. So it has nothing to do with coal, but it does have a lot to do with nuclear energy. And right now, that's very much in the doghouse. Yeah. And yet, plants are being built like crazy in China and planned in India. So even though Germany's moving away and Japan is moving away, the U.S. is now finally building plants again. So uranium still has a, a bright future ahead of it, I believe, and Cameco is one way to to potentially invest in that. So we're watching that and hoping for a slightly cheaper price. Sticking with energy, oil and gas giant Schlumberger is selling one of its divisions to National Oil Well Varco for $670 million. Uh, Brian White, um, is this a good deal for both companies? Did, you know, who, who, who needed this deal more? I think it's a better deal for National Oil Well Varco. They have a long track record of little small tuck-in acquisitions. That's kind of how they've grown to the size that they are now. Um, I don't think it's such a big deal for Schlumberger. It's a nice piece of cash. It's a business that they probably didn't It's value. always nice to get a big check. <laughs> yeah, it's nice, and especially if you don't value the business that high. For National Oil Well... Um, you know, the acquisition of Wilson, which is essentially a distributor, it has a big business in the U.S. and also a footprint uh, internationally. It distributes little parts and things for the energy industry and also some for the industrial sector. But for National Oil Well, it had a small segment that a distribution segment that was all domestic, U.S. So this expands them international, triples the revenue. So it beefs up another segment for National Oil Well Varco. You know, we love we love the acquisition for National. Jason, you yeah, agree? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think this is something the National Oil Well Varco really uh, benefits from because they have such a broad scope in just energy in general. I mean, natural gas and oil particularly, but as we see more exploration come online, uh, this is going to be something where Nat- National Oil Well Varco is able to continue to focus on all of the parts that make the energy industry work, whereas Schlumberger is more of a servicing uh, company, and, and this is, uh, you know, they get this sort of out of, out of their... Uh, out of their scope of responsibility, they don't have to worry about it anymore. I know it's a good day for the market in general, but uh, it is worth noting shares of both companies were up on the news. Is there one that you like better than the other right now? I think I just like National Oil of Arco's diversity a little bit more. They just have such a wide reach. And I mean, we have this inside joke over at Stock Advisor. It's, you know, their ticker is NOV, which is National Oil of Arco, but it also stands for no other vendor. And that's just their status in the industry. I mean, when these energy companies are looking for those parts and supplies, National Oil of Arco is where they're going. And so they are a real leader in the industry. Brian, you agree? I think it's a great time to invest in both companies. Um, National Oil of Arco plays a big role in. Uh, 
you know, rebuilding uh, old rigs. So we have a historical old uh, rig fleet uh, globally. And then also Schlumberger plays into the exploratory cycle of the energy industry. And they also play in the international sector. We've had a, we'd have had a huge run in North America with our shale gas plays. And uh, the, I, I expect the energy capex to, to start shifting internationally. And that plays right into Schlumberger. So they're both great companies. A new study finds that only about one-third of hybrid car owners would buy another hybrid. And guys, if you take the Toyota Prius out of the mix, the loyalty drops down to 25%. Jeff Fisher, hmm. the Toyota Prius owner at the other end of the table, I'll start with you. What, what do you make of this study? There is a lot to chew on here, but I, I think what people are finding is they're not as economical as they may hope them to be initially. And a study by Edmonds supports that. They, they said, and it wasn't in 2008, but gas prices at the time were about the same as right now, mm-hmm. that not a single hybrid ranked among the top 18 of the cheapest cars to own. The cheapest, guys, was the Chevrolet uh, Aveo, a very small little compact yeah. car. That's the cheapest car to own. Because by the time you take in the price of the car itself, you're paying more overall over the course of this five-year study than you will for a, a non-hybrid car. Yep. The other thing I think we're seeing is just... Uh, efficiency in cars is, of course, going up steadily, and, and that competes with the hybrid, which is pretty much capped around 40. Our Prius, we get 41 miles to a gallon typically around the city. On the highway, it's 50, but we're mostly city driving. Uh, the current standard in the U.S. is 27 miles per gallon. A lot of cars are getting in the 30s. That makes it even harder to justify paying up for a hybrid and now, keep in mind, the standards are going up. By 2016, the average car needs to get 34 miles per gallon in this country. By 2025, that's a long way out, but it's 54 miles per gallon by then. Anyway, I think people are just uh, – I was surprised by this number that only a quarter, excluding the Prius, of buyers buy another hybrid. I was surprised. We plan to to get another one ourselves. Well, I was going to say, it's, someone's dragging down the average because the you know the loyalty factor among Prius owners is really high, but uh, – I mean, Brian, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I, definitely someone's drag, uh, dragging it down. Uh, you know, anecdotally, I have people in my household that love the Prius, uh, family members <laughs> that love the Prius. People in your household? Oh, that, yeah. Well, there's multiple. There's that makes multiple it sound people. like you have borders or something no, like that. No. <laughs> no. Um, Jason, you were uh, at the auto show in Detroit at the beginning of the year. Um, sort of what is, what is the future of the hybrid over the next few years? Well, how are automakers looking at, at this portion of their industry? I think so you have one issue here where I think hybrid and Prius are almost synonymous. I mean, I think mm-hmm. when you think of hybrid, the first thing that comes to someone's mind is Prius. And so I do think that part of the problem here is just the style of driving maybe that is being considered because I know we had looked at, at buying a Prius. Mm-hmm. We ultimately bought a Camry, but part of that was because the the main reason we were buying this car, I was going to be getting to and from work in Atlanta at the time, which was going to be straight interstate driving. So a Prius didn't really give us any benefit there because it's not good for that kind of interstate driving. It's it's much more appropriate for inner city driving where the you know, you're going to have the chance for the engine to shut off and utilize the electric uh, factor more. And so that's when you have something like a Nissan Leaf come into play, which is straight electric. And I, it, you know, I think that so hybrid technology was very much touted at the auto show. Ford played a big, uh, big part in that in, in showing that they had their new fusion with not only just a straight gas engine but a hybrid uh, and a plug-in hybrid as well. 
it's definitely technology that's being pushed. I think it's going to take a lot. I think it's going to be a longer haul to really convince people that it's a viable uh, technology. And I think as time goes on and they perfect it, they make it better, it's going to become uh, more widespread. I think you'll see that loyalty factor tick up. Yeah, I think it's still a, a good feel-good purchase, or in our case, we actually leased it to see how we liked it for three years. Because uh, clearly you're, you're polluting, polluting less by using it. But this study, the Edmonds study, said even at $6 per gallon, the Prius ranks uh, 17th as among the most cost-efficient cars to, to, to own. Are the so. automakers working on the sound at all? Because, frankly, I'm still, I'm still not used to the fact that these cars make no noise. They make no noise at all. They, had, they have, an, uh, they have a, a test drive track at the, on the first floor of the, uh, the Kobo Center there in Detroit where they have the auto show. And you literally go down there. And so, I mean, most every car down there is either a hybrid or a you know, straight electric vehicle. You don't hear a thing. I mean, I stepped up to the curb there to wait for the car to come over. And I was looking over the other way. And it's like the, the car just sidled up right next to me. I never even heard it. All of a sudden, it was there. And so, I mean, I think that uh, they're going to have to do something with that because it's quieter than a golf cart at this point. I mean, yeah, I've I'll, seen efforts to, to – I'll admit, we've left the car on sometimes and not realize we have. <laughs> oh, yeah. We walk away and it beeps. And we've met other Prius owners who have done that quite a bit. See, yeah, I, I think imagine. they need to just uh, – I, I think this would solve two problems. One, if you, if you add the sound of a muscle car. Just make it sound like your basic muscle car. <laughs> a one, Ford Mustang. Maybe. Exactly. You know, one, it has some sound. Two, for any guy who's sort of on the fence about, you know, uh, his masculinity in driving a Prius, <laughs> the muscle car sound, I think that puts it over the edge. See, I'd go a spinoff from that. I mean, it's, it's sort of that way, but I'm going old school here. You know that old game, pole position. Yeah. So what if you had like a Prius or a hybrid electric car that was just doing like the pole position sound, you know, like the beginning and then you got the car shifting gears. You sound like you're driving a video game. Brian, what do you think? Is there a noise? If, you get, if they come to you and they're like, yeah, we've we got to add a noise, what do you recommend? I think I would prefer I, – I think I would go after the jerky boys angle. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and instead of calling people, you're just talking to people on the sidewalk as they walk or even in the car, you know, at the stoplight. I like that. Just Jeff? calling up – I I I like the the silence. We live in the city, so it's nice to have quiet cars go by sometimes. But if you need noise, what about the night rider noise? Didn't that car Kit, make Kit it make the a talking noise? car? Yeah, as it went by, it made that humming sound too outside. As long as it doesn't sound like David Hasselhoff. You had making the uh, <laughs> the Steve Austin six million dollar man. There you go. <laughs> Uh, and finally, consumer products giant Unilever makes a wide range of items, including Lipton tea, Hellman's mayonnaise, and Dove soap. But that's not that's not why we're talking about Unilever today. Uh, Un- Dove soap. Uh, Unilever has a fantastic new ad campaign in Germany. Uh, it's rolling out a campaign for its Du Darfst line of food products under the English tagline F- "The Diet." Uh, Steve Broido, can we can we play just a clip of the television ad? Mit Du Darfst kannst du unbeschwert genießen. Denn Du Darfst heißt vor allem, du musst gar nichts. Greif einfach zu. The Diet. Du Darfst. <laughs> so, so there we go. Um, now, what do we think of this? Because this is not, there are certainly provocative companies out there, but this isn't American Apparel and this is not GoDaddy. This is a, a, Consumer products giant on the level of like a Procter and Gamble, yeah, PepsiCo, or something. If this is the way advertising is going, it's going to be a very interesting future. I mean, soon you're saying <laughs> your competitor. You know, <laughs> does this hurt them at all, or or is this just sort of a no? We're getting you know any attention is good attention. Well, we're sitting here talking about it, so I just don't see how it really hurts them. 
What do you think, Brian? Yeah, they're a huge company. I think people will forget about it pretty soon. It's I mean, it's it's Unilever. I mean, you see Dove soap, you don't you don't think Unilever. You see Lipton tea, you don't think Unilever. So I mean, but to be clear, this this seems like it was very much on purpose. This was not like I mean, and there are examples. You know, just looking on the internet, you know, there are examples of uh, you know, like in the past where General Motors had the Nova. Um, and and when they you know tried to sell that in you know Spanish speaking com- uh, countries, Nova translates into you know it doesn't go. So I mean that was mm-hmm. a mistake. But you know in Germany, uh, the word <laughs> is essentially slang for let it be. Like that's that's Unilever's explanation. Like hey, this is just slang. Okay, and let's take let's take that one one step further with Kraft's renaming of its new division. And you saw the or Mondelez, the, uh, right? Mondelez. Well, apparently that's you know some Russian derivative of oral sex. Yes. So I mean, somebody dropped the ball there. Yeah, that <laughs> or was is a, that just a cultural divide? No, that, I think that was a mistake. Whereas I think in this case, Unilever is very much saying, no, 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 we're we're, yeah, we're going, we're going this with way. it. It's very and Unilever did say that the term is frequently heard on German TV and radio, used in newspapers and magazines in Germany. Pretty much all the time, they said. That's new to me. I've been to Germany a few times. I haven't seen <laughs> but it's, it. But they're saying it as – I mean, it's, it means the same thing to us as it does to them, I'm assuming. I mean, I, Oh, I, sure. I, yeah. That word by now is universally well, I believe, yeah. known. Well, <laughs> thankfully, we can all agree on that. Jeff Fisher, Brian White, Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. She's so upbeat, too. That's the thing. That's what I love about her voice. She's just so upbeat. She's smiling all the time, too. She's happy for some reason.